Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad to have you all here with us today. If you're a guest with us, we welcome you. Glad to have you with us, too. And everybody's joining us online this morning. Um, as we are transitioning into this time of studying the Word together, I want to go ahead and bring your attention. We'll be in the book of Acts, continuing in our study today, uh, specifically starting in chapter 10 today. Uh, but before we get there, if you would like to continue to give uh, to the mission of homes, as you know, you can see it there on the screen, uh, the different ways in which you could give. Uh, gives you the option if you want to designate specific things for Operation Christmas Child or things like that as well. You can do that, uh, but that's all the information there on the screen. Or if you want to give him, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing that was taken up at once to heaven. Now, when Peter was inwardly, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who, sent by, who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked Simon whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We are so grateful and thankful, Father, that we can call out to you as our Abba Father because of what you have done through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we pray as we spend this time in the studying of your word, Father, that you would make clear to us the things that you need us to hear today. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you now. Lord, that you would speak anything that I've prepared that is not of what you want, Lord. I pray that you would take it away from my mind or my notes. Lord, if there's something that you need me to say that I have not prepared, Lord, I pray that you would speak it. Above all things, Lord, keep me out of the way and you be glorified. We pray now, Lord, as the, the proclamation of the gospel is happening at Summit at this point in their gathering, Lord, that the word of God would go forth, transforming lives as we pray it for here too, Lord. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in our passage today, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. You can write this down uh, kind of as an overview, but you'll, you'll get individual points as well. But God providentially interferes in the lives of people for his will and his purposes to advance the gospel to all nations. The first point that we will look at today is that God providentially directs Cornelius. God providentially directs Cornelius. Verse 1 again says that at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, that was known, of, known as the Italian cohort. 
And we have to understand what a centurion is. A centurion, uh, as a centurion, Cornelius commanded about 100 men. That's where we get the word century from of the Italian cohort, which was a unit that was about 600 men or more. Now, verse two tells us that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. He says that he feared God. What does this mean? Well, as Cornelius, being a, a, a Gentile, he, he followed Jewish religion, but he was not circumcised, which would be an obvious issue for Jews at that point. He may have been close to Judaism, but he wasn't a Jew, and he, he may have even been able to go into the synagogue and likely probably did. But because he wasn't a Jew, he wouldn't be allowed to enter past the court of the Gentiles that's in Jerusalem. And for a reference point, you may remember the story of Jesus chasing out the money changers. That was the area in which they went to when that took place. And we see here that it says that the household fears God as well. Now, this could be the immediate family that is present in the household. There may be some extended family as well that is, is living there in, in the house with him. And if that was the case, that could include them as well. But this is essentially just talking about that immediate family group. Think about the household that you're in currently or, or you grew up in, that tight-knit immediate family group, okay? And it says that they were generous people who gave alms. They gave money. They gave goods to people that were in need, and they prayed, so it sounds like they're, they're checking a lot of boxes, if you will. Verse 3 says, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Now for reference point, the ninth hour, that is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so at 3 p.m., Cornelius, he sees this vision that is before him, this, this angel that calls his name. Now, that ninth hour, that is kind of uh, very specific for the Jewish nation at the point, okay? Because that is a time that was reserved for prayer. And so he practices this. He goes about doing his daily routine of gathering for prayer at about the ninth hour. And I would say, and I think you would agree with me for this one, this day, it's a little bit different than his normal routine, right? I mean, this day, an angel appears before him. An angel is, comes out of nowhere, and appears before him. And verse 4 says, He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Specifically says that he has terror. He's terrified. He's terrified of what he's seen before him. And we commonly see that response from people, just like we see Cornelius make in Scripture. An angel appears, it's this awe-inspiring moment, this, this being is there before him as a messenger from God to speak on offering unto God. A life that is living, a life that is in obedience to God, that is surrendered to the Lord, saying, whatever you would have for me, I will do, I will follow you, here is my life. And as we do those things and we walk in obedience, it brings up this fragrant aroma to God, this, this beautiful, fragrant, pleasing offering to God. For Cornelius, his prayer and the alms that he's done are a memorial. The angel's words tells us that God isn't concerned necessarily with the items of the sacrifice, but the heart of the one who is bringing the sacrifice or, or doing this type of memorial. Now, let's be clear. When we study through Leviticus or we read through Leviticus, the point that that time was for the sacrificial system. God did care specifically how things were done 
Because he wouldn't have given the law and the rules in which they had to be uh, uh, done correctly uh, to bring him glory. Like, they had to be followed to a T. So God was concerned with those things, but ultimately it was about the person and the heart, the sinful heart, in which these things are being brought forth. We, we, we talked about it all throughout. Leviticus pointed to the fact of Jesus. Ultimately, everything points to Jesus. And we know that Jesus, when he comes and he dies that sacrificial death and he takes God's wrath in the place of all mankind's sins, it is to be done and atoned for once and for all. There is no need for a sacrificial system anymore. Jesus has paid the penalty. We who are in Christ, we have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Now verse 5 and 6 says, the angel is still speaking, Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner of the house by the sea. The angel indicates to Cornelius that if he follows through with what he's been told, he'll understand fully the purpose by what all of this means. Now, I want to just make sure we indicate something here. All of this to say that the alms and the prayers, they've been listed as memorial to God, but those things in that moment did not save Cornelius. Cornelius needs to find Peter to ultimately find out what salvation truly is. Look at 7 and 8. When the angel also spoke to him had departed, angel who spoke to him had departed, excuse me, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius hears the words of the angel. He does as he's told, and he takes these three and sends them off to Joppa. So here in this moment, God providentially interferes in the life of Cornelius. Cornelius is just going by the book, doing everything that he does on a daily basis. He's following everything that he's supposed to do, and he gets to the point where it's the ninth hour, and he's praying, and he's doing everything by the book. And then boom, in that moment, God providentially interferes in his life to tell him, you need to go and send people to Joppa. You need to find Simon Peter and have him come here. The cliffhanger for Cornelius in that moment. Now, in that moment, he hears it, and he's obedient, and he does exactly what the angel says, and he sends for Peter. So the second thing that we see is that God providentially directs Peter. God providentially directs Peter. Look at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. This transition now happens <clears throat> from Cornelius to Simon Peter. And Peter, if you remember from last week, he was at the house of Simon the Tanner. And we covered that right at the very tail end last week. It's in 943, if you want to jot that down to reference that again. But the tanner, as Pastor Walter talked last week, he's doing his business of, of slaughtering animals and tanning hides. He was looked at as someone that was considered unclean. That in and of itself tells us that, that there's some, some it, it ties in directly with the story. I'll just put it that way, with what we're seeing happen today. Luke tells us that Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray about the sixth hour. So this is about midday at this point. Now it's very interesting to note that in the moment of Cornelius' praying, God intervenes in his life and tells him something very powerful that is going to change the trajectory of things for him. 
And the same is true for Peter. In this moment, he sees something take place before him. Verse 10 tells us, He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance. Peter's vision takes place. The scripture says he falls into a trance, but this vision happens before him. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. I'm going to read them together. And he saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I just have to say, I love the way in which God has created us. Because as we read his word, yes, we're reading mere words off of scripture, out of of the book of the Bible, out of scripture. But as soon as I begin to read that, I don't know if you're like me, but I picture this in my head of Peter sitting there on the rooftop and you see this great sheet descend and it has all of these animals on it. Now Peter's focused on the vision. He sees the sheet come down, all those animals upon it, both clean and unclean, and he hears those words. And if your Bible has the red letters, you see that it's in red, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, look at verse 14. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter's going to give this response starting in 14 through 16, and in this response, he's, he's commanded by Jesus, and he says, By no means, I will not do this. This is not the way I was raised. This is not the way that you laid it out for us as, as God-fearing Jews. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And we have to see the standpoint of Peter. His response is from what he's learned his entire life, the way in which he's lived it. As a Jew, he followed strictly the code of what it was to eat and not eat based on the Levitical law, all going back to Leviticus 11. He is focused on that. He is doing what he's supposed to do. And he hears this from God, and it's completely different. It alters things for him in that moment. And he gives that response, but then as we see there in 15, the voice came to him a second time. God speaks again. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then we see 16 play out. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now we too may be perplexed by this. Is Peter in the wrong? I mean, I'm reading through this as I study, and I'm like, wait a minute, I I can understand Peter's response. He's doing what he thought was the right thing to do. And yet God is telling him something different, contrary to what he has practiced. As a God-fearing Jew, Peter did what he believed was the right thing. So what was God's point with all of this? Well, I think there's two big takeaways that we can see from this. First is that Peter's left with a choice. Peter's left with a choice. We have to remember that God called Peter to abandon his life. God called Peter to abandon his life to follow Jesus, and Peter did. Peter sat with Jesus through his teachings. 
He saw the miracles performed. He witnessed all that Jesus did. Now he's faced with this moment where although he did all these things by the book the way he was supposed to do, Jesus has spoken and he has to decide if he's going to be obedient or not. Let's take a moment to quickly pause for a second. Is the Lord directing you, is the Lord directing us individually or corporately? Is he directing us on certain things and we're trying to be obedient, but he gives us that moment of obedience to follow? And if he does, if he has, if he will, and he will, are we going to step forward in obedience when that choice is there before us? Second kind of takeaway that you can take, and don't miss this. We see a major turning point at this point moving forward in the way in which God relates to the people. The earlier things that God established, the Levitical law for sacrifices and food, served their purposes for the period of time that was needed. They pointed to what was coming, as I said a moment ago. They pointed to who was coming. They pointed to Jesus. But we're in Acts 10. Jesus has come. Jesus' fulfillment of the scriptures, a way is now available for a unified people of God who place their faith and trust in Jesus to worship and fellowship together. It's been made possible because of what Jesus has done for all who would repent and believe, all who would surrender and walk in obedience. Verses 17 and 18 say, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Peter hasn't even had time to shake what he's just witnessed. He is perplexed, as the scriptures say. Wouldn't you be if you were in Peter's shoes? For that moment, he's perplexed. He's contemplating the things that he has just seen and what God has said. But the next thing he knows, the three men sent by Cornelius are standing at the gate and they're calling out, hey, is Simon Peter here? Verses 19 and 20 say, while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter's still deep in thought, thinking about this. They've shown up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit reveals to him that these three men are looking for him, and he tells him to go with them without hesitation, because God sent them. I read those two verses and I also stop for a moment and think. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down. Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. When you have those moments where God is directing you, and you have that moment where you have to decide if you're going to be obedient, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Wait and listen. The Lord will speak. The Lord will direct us. You may not hear an audible voice come down from heaven, 
But God may providentially put somebody in your life that is there with you, that is a brother or sister in Christ that tells you, hey, what about this? The Holy Spirit may make it very firmly in your inward being to where you just know the prompting of the Spirit is there. I must walk in obedience. We see in 21 and 22, Peter went down to the men. I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-free man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, has directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. And listen to that last part, the first part of verse 23, excuse me. So he invited them into his, in to be his guest. Now we see something happen there. Luke, in his writing of the book of Acts, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see there in this account that we're looking at today, the second time now that the vision has been made clear. It's been spoken about. We, we saw it as he wrote about what literally took place before Cornelius, and now as he's going to Peter, it's being said again. God has providentially directed Cornelius in this moment. Cornelius has responded, and now he's providentially directing Peter. And after hearing this, Peter, being told by the Holy Spirit that this is what is taking place, he invites those people in to be his guests. And as we're going to see, they're going to go forward back to Cornelius. So we see two different ways in which God is providentially directed. Let's look at the last point. God providentially intervenes for his glory. God providentially intervenes for his glory. That point alone can probably be an overarching point for all three of these. But look at the second part of 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from John Caesarea, which was about a 30-mile journey from where Peter was. Now it says also there that these people accompanied them. Peter takes with him six men, And they're all significant for later. So just hold on to that. But look at 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Cornelius in that moment is overwhelmed with excitement to have Peter enter his house and he prostrates himself down before Peter at his feet. He's not necessarily worshiping Peter as if he were God but he does so in this reverent way towards Peter. God has made clear in a vision that this is what is going to happen. You need to look out for Peter. Send for Peter. He is going to come. And imagine Cornelius in that moment. The angel has said this to him. He follows through and then knock, knock, knock. He's at the door. And so he's overwhelmed and he falls. But then Peter responds in 26. Stand up. I too am a man. Stand up, I too am a man. Cornelius, I'm just an everyday, normal, mortal like you. I am not God. Stand up. Now in verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered Peter talks with Cornelius. He walks into the house and he sees all of these people together. They're waiting on Peter. 
Now you can imagine probably from Cornelius' thoughts through this whole experience, an angel shows up to him and tells him to go and do this. So he's probably going to start telling everybody like, hey, this angel showed up. He said that I need to do this. And so I've sent the three guys to go and find him. Why don't y'all come to the house and wait? Why don't y'all come? Let's, let's, let's sit here and let's wait on this guy, Peter, to show up. God has told me this is going to happen, so let's wait. Let's gather together. Let's make sure we see him when he comes because God is obviously up to something here. The angel said that my memorial was before God. It went up to him. He responded to me. And it's at this moment for Peter that vision that he had, it's starting to make sense. It's starting to click. The dots are starting to connect. The I's are being dotted, the T's are being crossed for Peter. You see, we're going to see moving forward in Acts that there's a major shift in this grand meta-narrative of God. Brian Vicker states in his commentary, it's important to grasp the weight of what happens in this text Nothing will ever be the same after this point. Boundaries and walls are torn down, enemies reconciled, and the way to God opened as an ancient promise to Abraham reaches the nations for the first time at this moment in Caesarea. There will be fits and starts of serious obstacles, but there is never any doubt in Acts or the rest of the New Testament about what must follow this event. You see, because at this moment, those things are starting to connect for Peter. This is a major turning point in God's story. We see in 28, he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit with any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. There it is. There it is. The wheels started turning. Peter started to realize what the point of the vision was. Peter tells him, guys, this is an obvious violation of the law. We are not to be gathered together. But Peter points to God's revelation to him that, that he cannot call any person common or unclean. Who is Peter to say that we can't be together? Peter uses that big word in Scripture that seems so minor in our English language today, but. But Peter says, yeah, we're not supposed to be together, but God has shown me something. Yeah, it may not be what we're supposed to do, but God's made it clear that I'm no longer supposed to focus on these specific things. No, no, no. God's purpose Verse 29 says, So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked, Why have you sent me? Why you sent for me? Excuse me. So he asked the question, Hey, I came. I was told to come, so I came. Why is it that you wanted me here? And Cornelius said, And don't miss this, it's the third time that Luke tells of the vision. It's the third time again that we see that God providentially intervened in this situation. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. 
and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. We've seen through each point that God has a providential plan throughout this process. The angel appearing to Cornelius in the vision from God to send for Peter builds to the point to where Peter sees this vision before God and God is making it clear. Yes, I'm using food to show you this, but this points to people. The gospel is for all. And now they're at the point where these people are gathered in the house and the Gentiles are about to hear the gospel. It shows us that God's desire is for the Gentiles to hear the gospel and be radically changed. God's approval of the memorial that Cornelius brought to him, he's responded to it. He's answered it, but it's for an even greater purpose. For Cornelius to see Peter there in the flesh and to hear what we will see Peter says next. Lastly, in verse 33, so I sent for you at once. Cornelius showing that obedience the moment he hears it. I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius acknowledges Peter's kindness for coming. He greets him and he says, we're all here. We're all here in the presence of God. We all want to hear what you have to say, what God has commanded you to say. It's as if Cornelius knows the reality of what has happened to him. God has intervened. God is there among them, and he knows something's about to go down. This text, and what we'll continue to see, especially next week, is this beautiful reality of how God's plans and purposes go forth, and they are accomplished. There are times in our lives where we are going to be faced with different things as it comes about. God is going to use situations for his glory in our life that may wreck us, that may leave us wanting more. Whatever it is, God is going to direct and God is going to intervene. God, if you are in Christ, God intervened at a certain point in your life where he intervened where you were in your lostness as a sinner. And yet in his intervention there, you responded. And repentance and trust in Jesus. This text, I see these undertones of obedience. Cornelius sees this, Cornelius responds. Peter sees this, the Holy Spirit tells him something, he responds. He intervenes. In our daily life, as we go about doing our plan of what we want to do, as we want to do it, whenever we want to do it, God intervenes, and he directs, and he calls us to obedience. 
Will we be obedient? Will we respond to say, yes, Lord? Will we respond to say, Lord, that's going to be really, really difficult. I mean, imagine Peter. Knowing what he knew prior to that vision coming, he couldn't imagine being there in that moment. Yet God made clear, what God has made clean, do not call common. Go, do this. As God tells you to go and do this, will you be obedient to follow him? I pray that our answer is yes to that. We're going to take a moment, as we always do, prior to singing our last song, to just sit quietly for a moment in, in quiet reflection and prayer. And I want to challenge you the same way as, I, as we always challenge you. Ask the Lord, what, what are you saying throughout this to me? What are you telling me now? What is the response that you are calling me to respond with? And as he makes those clear to you, I want to challenge you to be obedient. Be obedient. For each and every one of us, that looks different probably in our own individual lives. It may be walking next door and knocking on the door of somebody we've lived next to for 15 years and never once spoken to them. Besides a casual, how you doing? It may be going to the cubicle right down the hallway. It may be walking down the hallway of our house, as I say time and time again, to the child that we have the honor and blessing of being entrusted to and just speaking the truth of the gospel. It may be that friend that you know is lost as can be but desperately needs to hear the gospel. Whatever it is, I challenge you. As the Lord makes clear, be obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Lord, just grateful that we can call you Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm thankful for your word, Lord, that we can read your word and the story that was penned so long ago by Luke, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we can see just how that can apply to us today. And that's because your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, your word is not just a book that we can just take and put on a shelf or we can turn off of an app and, and come back to it a later day and it doesn't apply. No, no, no. Your word applies to our lives because it is your word and you speak as we read it, as we engage with you. And Father, we see this example in this account before us today of how you providentially intervened in Cornelius and Peter's life and the impact that it left on the people that hear what Peter has to say. Father, I pray that as we've studied this text and we think about it today going throughout the week, God, that you would make clear Maybe something that we specifically need to hear or, or walk forward in obedience with. Father, I pray, Lord, that as you direct, I'm not, I'm not going to say, Lord, that, that if you direct, because, Lord, you are always directing us. You're always leading us. I pray, Lord, and I ask for our people, for myself, Lord, that, 
that we would listen as you're directing and that we would be obedient, knowing that every pathway that you direct us on, Lord, there are people that come in our contact every single day that are members of the harvest that we pray for daily, that are lost as can be, They may sit next to us at work. They may be next door to us on our street. They may be one of our closest and dearest friends. They may be a family member. But Lord, they need the gospel. Bless you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.